turn together to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to be looking this morning at chapter 1, verses 21 to 26, as Paul begins to reflect upon what life is like, what real life is as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to read a few more verses for context, however. So let us begin our reading with verse 18 of chapter 1. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible, sufficient word. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask, O Lord, this morning that you would shine Your Word upon our hearts, that You would reveal to us what Your will is as found in Your Holy Word. Lord, we ask that You would enlighten our minds, that You would strengthen our wills, that You would renew us even now, O Lord, to hear Your Word and to obey it. We ask all this In the name of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Real life. Have you ever had anyone walk up to you and say, well, you know, that's real life. Usually it's when you're being shaken out of a daydream in which everything is perfect, in which life is smooth and easy, where there are no problems, No shadows, no hunger pains, nothing need be diet anything. And then we are confronted with the challenges that are right before our eyes. Where there is pain, where there is heartache, where there is discouragement. And especially for the Christian, this can be very disheartening. Many of us, when we first come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when He calls us to Himself by faith, we expect now that all of our problems are solved. That everything will be perfect now that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, isn't that what being a Christian is all about? 
You're happy all the time. You love everyone all the time. Everyone loves you all the time. Life is smooth and easy. All you have to do is obey what's in the Bible and everything is perfect. But there's one hitch, isn't there? That that doesn't describe the Christian life. The real life of a Christian continues to have challenges. We continue to struggle. We continue to strive. And that is the case too here, even for the Apostle Paul. And sometimes these struggles are so great, they can cause us to wonder what is the meaning of it all. Not the meaning of life, but the meaning of why am I in this place at this time? Why doesn't Jesus just come and take me home? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If you have, Paul has an answer for you this morning. Paul struggled with the same question. So much so that it even comes off the page as we look at it. And what I would like us to look at here is the real life of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we need to realize is that real life is hard. Real life is hard. There's no sugarcoating that. Life is difficult. But the second thing that we need to know and realize is that real life is also selfless. Real life for the Christian is not about me. It is about others. Life is hard. Life is selfless. But also, real life for the Christian is Christ-focused. Focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So let's look then this morning here beginning at verse 21, at real life for the Christian. First, real life is hard. And life is hard because of what is. Many of you, most of you, perhaps every single one of you, don't even need me to preach this section of the sermon for you. You know life is hard. You woke up this morning and your back hurt. Or you were reminded you couldn't eat certain foods. Or you looked out and saw your car was a little older than you wanted it to be. Or your house a little leakier than you would thought it would be. Life is hard because of what is in front of us. And Now remember that that's also true for Paul. We need to focus in upon this. We easily see our own difficulties. But then we turn and we look at Bible figures and believe that somehow they lead magical, blessed, easy lives. Of course they can say these things about God because their lives are perfect in Christ. But that's not the case. Remember the context that this passage falls in. Paul's context is one of pain. He's chained to a guard. And if you don't think having iron chains on your body after a while hurt, you're kidding yourself. He has real physical pain. It's likely very cold at times. It's likely damp at times. He probably doesn't get proper sleep. He is faced with real pain and suffering and hardship. He also has limitations. Limitations beyond perhaps what any of us would have. We think about our own limitations. We think about the fact that we have to spend more hours at work than we want to. Or more hours working around the house to keep things maintained. If we could only shed those limitations, then we could really live the Christian life. Perhaps we're weighed down by children and their needs. 
Perhaps you, like me, have shook your head and said, Oh, the kids. Perhaps you, like me, in my household, have had your children shake their head and say, Oh, Dad. We're limited by what is around us. But that is also true of Paul. He couldn't go where he wanted to go. He couldn't do everything he wanted to do. He was bound to another. He was answerable to a court. He had responsibilities and duties even while in prison. So Paul's context is one of pain and it is one of limitation. But we also can't forget that Paul's context is also one of seeing fruit. We've looked at that these past few weeks. Paul has seen fruit in the church at Rome. He's seen the gospel being preached. He's seen the saints being emboldened. He's seen them be fearless in their pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also seen fruit in the church at Philippi that he's left behind. He's encouraged by their love for one another. He's encouraged by their partnership in the ministry with him. So in the midst of his real life, Paul also can focus upon the good that God has given to him. The real practical blessings that he has seen. Life is hard because of what is. We know this as well as Paul. There's a reality of our own discouragement. We have our own personal challenges. There is the things that are left undone. The things that we wish we could do but cannot. The discouragement that hangs around our neck and threatens to bring us down. There's also loss that surrounds us. Whether it's loss of a loved one or whether it's the loss of a child to some other city for college or some other home to set up their own home. That loss, that feeling, that pang is real. It makes life difficult to live day to day, doesn't it? We need to have the same kind of perspective that Paul has, but it's hard when there's so much white noise around us. This is a reality of discouragement. But Paul also realizes that life is hard, not just because of what is, but because of what is to come. You see, Paul knows that it is better on the other side. Paul knows that it is better to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows what the real purpose and meaning of life is. And sometimes that makes life even harder than when life seems purposeless. You know, we watch those who do not care for God, do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who go from day to day, and sometimes we think, how do they make it through the day? They have nothing to look forward to. But the reality is, is that it can be harder for the Christian to go from day to day because we have everything to look forward to. It's like trying to get through the last month of school when you know summer vacation is right around the end. It's like trying to focus Friday afternoon at work when vacation starts at 5 o'clock. You can't do anything. You get up, you go get a drink, you sit down, you visit the men's room, you go and talk to someone on the phone. You can't even focus on one task at hand because of what you know is coming. That's what Paul is experiencing here. You see, he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this gain is because of the consummation of being with Christ. 
One thing that we cannot take from this text is that Paul believes it is a good thing to reject life. You see, Paul is not saying, my life is so miserable, I just want to throw up my hands and give up. Have you ever felt like that? Has that discouraged you? Has it drawn your mind away from the Lord Jesus Christ as you just think things will never get any better? I can't take this another day. You see, Paul's answer is not to throw up your hands. It is to look, to turn your head to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul wants is not death. Paul wants Jesus And he knows that death is not a release from pain. Death is a transition to being with the Lord Jesus Christ. To experiencing that life that is in Christ uninterrupted. That is why to Paul, not only is living Christ, but dying is even more. It is gain, for it is being with Christ at all times. You see, the consummation of life is to be with the Lord Jesus That's why Paul can heap term upon term up. Now, it's difficult in the English, but I want you to look closely to try. It's more obvious in the Greek. Have you ever had a conversation with one of your children where something very exciting has just happened? Maybe they've seen a fire truck, or maybe they've just hit a home run, or maybe they've just realized what they can do. And they come in and they can't even finish sentences. They have sentences without verbs. They leave out subjects. And you have to say, wait a minute. Speak in English, please. I can't understand what you're saying. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. He is so emotional and so worked up, he can't make a proper Greek sentence. And Paul knows how to make a proper Greek sentence. He can run them on for verse upon verse upon verse. There's one famous section in Ephesians where he has six verses worth of one sentence. But here he just breaks in. He says, for me to die is gain. I can't choose because my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. And he actually says, much more better. If your child ever used that kind of language, like more gooder, much more better, you would immediately correct them. But you see, Paul, he can't stop himself. He wants to say much, but it's not just much, it's also more. But it's not just more, it's not just good, it's it's better. It's the only place in the Bible that this is used. You can see much good or much better. You can see more better. But the only place in the Bible where you see much more better is here where Paul is talking about what it will be like to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that how you view your life? Is your belief, your faith, your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ something that keeps you up awake at night thinking about how much more better it will be to be with Jesus? Or is your faith in the Lord something that you think is expected of you by your parents? And that can be whether you're age 16 or 60. Is your faith something that you think you need in order to have people like you at church? No. The Christian life is a call to be with Jesus. 
Everything else points toward that goal. It is the consummation of life. And this has such a a tug on Paul, such a grasp on Paul, that he, as I said, he can't even make a good sentence. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. Well, what are the two? If you look here, and you look at verse 22, and you say, well, I don't see two. It says, if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. I count one. Where's the two? Congratulations, you can write a commentary on Philippians. Because every commentator is also struck by this. Paul doesn't finish his sentence. They have to go back. We must go back to verse 21 to find the two. Because you see, Paul is so wound up, so caught up in this thinking, that he can't even think of his two alternatives. And he says, this has me so wrapped up, I cannot choose. I am hard-pressed. Have you ever been hard-pressed? Now, use the vividness of that language. Hard-pressed, not like in, oh, that's a tough decision. As in, getting stuck between two walls, trying to scoot through the attic. As in, being pressed in a crowd so it's hard to move. You see, this word here actually has the connotations. It can also be translated. The NIV translates it well by translating it torn. Have you ever been torn about a decision? I mean, where you felt you were literally going to be ripped apart. You didn't know what to decide. That's what Paul is saying here. He's squeezed in. He's pressed in. He is torn. Because you see, he has a real strong desire. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. He wants to weigh anchor. He actually uses a term here that could be from his profession. Many of you know that Paul was also a tent maker. So much so that we call missionaries and pastors who work another job in order to support themselves in the ministry, we call them tent makers. Well, this is a camping term. Strike the tent, pick it up, go off on the journey, weigh anchor, pull up and set sail. That is what Paul desires to do, and his desire is a strong desire. This isn't just something that he could take or leave. This isn't just something that he thinks might be good. It's a passion with Paul. Imagine whatever you are most passionate about. That is Paul's desire to be with Christ. We see all kinds of passion out in the world today, don't we? We see men who paint themselves all shades of colors before whatever sporting event. We see people who sell everything they have and move out to the mission field. Passion that Paul has is to be with Christ You see, one of the things we know about real life is that being a Christian does not mean giving up preferences or choices. You see, sometimes we think being a Christian is kind of like eating healthy. The best way to eat healthy is to really learn not to hate things that taste like cardboard. And you have to kind of lose a desire for things like chocolate or pizza. Good things... We have to kind of level everything out. No. 
The Christian life is not about being boring. It is not about being bland. It is not about striking your personality away. It is about using your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your personality for the glory of Jesus Christ. And you see, this strong desire points to the reality of Paul's choice. He doesn't know what to do, to stay or to go. Real life is hard. But you see, Paul also knows that real life is selfless. Real life is serving others. It is selfless service. Do you notice what Paul says in verse 22? He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Life means labor. This may come as news to you. Many of you, perhaps, even as you're growing up now, preteens, teens, think that life means a bed of ease or vacation. No, life means work. It means hard work. Because you see, there is a purpose that God has in our lives. God does not leave us here to build His kingdom, to stand and watch things go up. God has a purpose for every single person in His kingdom. No matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how young, no matter how old, you are here in the kingdom of God for a reason. In His eternal wisdom and will, He has a purpose for you. This points to the value of life. It's why the Christian church has always valued life. It's why when the world says, well, let's just get rid of them, they're old. The church stands aside and says, no! It's when the world says, you know, it would be really inconvenient to have a crying baby around. Can't we just get rid of that baby and abort it? The church says, no! God has a plan for life. God is in charge. Life means labor, but it means labor in the will of God. But it doesn't just mean labor in a purposeless sense. Paul says this kind of labor is fruitful labor. He actually says the fruit of my labor is what my life is. And the word that he uses for work or labor is also often used when Paul is talking about his ministry, his work of the ministry. So for Paul, the purpose and plan that God has for him is a ministry, is a work that will bear fruit. A labor that will bear gospel fruit. This is what we should be focused upon each and every day. What will God do? How will He build up His kingdom through me? Even though I face challenges, even though I may be discouraged, even though I may be difficult, we may ask ourselves, no, we must ask ourselves every day, what will God do through us today? That is the Christian's question. You see, we need to expect to see God's work in our lives. Do you expect to see God working through you and in you? Or are you allowing Satan to whisper in your ear, Oh, no, you're not experienced enough. No one will listen to you. Oh, no, you're too old. People don't want 
to listen to old people. You're past your prime. Oh, no, you're too young. No one wants to listen to young people. God will work His work in His time through each one of His people, bearing gospel fruit. This should be the expectation of the people of God. You see, this kind of service points us and focuses us upon others because if we will labor for the kingdom, we must take our eyes off ourselves. What is Paul's focus here of his continued life? Do you notice it's not on his desire? He doesn't speak of his own life desiring to be eased of difficulties and pain. He doesn't even ask that his own desire, his great desire would be fulfilled. That is to be with Christ. No, his focus is on the desire of those who are around him. It's why he says, my desire is to depart. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And because of this, he says, I will remain and continue. You notice Paul's emphasis there? He uses two words where he could use one. He says, I will remain here and I will continue with you because I desire to see God work through me. This is the kind of service that takes us to others that allows us to build others up to see their value. This is the work of a Christian. But there's also selfless responsibility. You see, it's not just serving others. We must realize that as a part of the people of God, we have responsibility. This is one of the reasons that we have a church and not a collection of individuals. It's one of the reasons that we take membership vows. It's one of the reasons that we stand up and encourage parents of children that we will help them to raise their child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's because being a part of the people of God carries with it responsibility. Responsibility for others. And Paul knows this. He knows his responsibility full well. He says in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know I will remain. This phrase should be familiar to you. If you have a chance, look back or look up, as it were, to Philippians 1 and verse 6. One of those most famous verses, those uh, verses that we put framed on our walls. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this. I am convinced of this. The exact same phrase. You see, just as Paul is convinced, just as firmly as he is convinced in the power of God, that's how firm and convinced Paul is that he has a responsibility to work for the benefit of others. That's why he says... Convinced of this, I know, not I think, not I suppose, not I wish, but I know that I will remain and continue with you, even in the face of strong desire to be with Christ. How often do we see this in the world today? Hardly ever, isn't it? 
whenever anyone is faced with a strong desire and a responsibility, where do we turn? So many around us jettison responsibilities for strong desires. Whether that be a desire for a vacation, or fame, or money, or honor. And our responsibilities as husbands and fathers go away. It's why we are raising a generation of fatherless children. Because men will not step up to the plate and do their task that God has ordained to them in His Word. They would rather play video games or sports or hang out with the guys. We see something even worse happening today. We see it now also happening amongst women. Women jettisoning their responsibilities, leaving children. We see it with children and young adults leaving college, quitting jobs, not showing up for work, leaving the responsibilities that God has placed in their path. Now, we're not talking about a job. We're not talking about responsibilities of a human nature. We're talking about responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And Paul encourages us to push on, to think more highly of others, to serve the church, even in the midst of our own desires. That's what makes a church of love, where everyone is committed to the common goal, willing to place their own desires and wants behind those of another, to selflessly serve. This is the responsibility that God has placed upon us. Paul knows this, and he is indeed selfless. He uses very strong language He says, I am hard-pressed. My desire is to be with Christ. That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And again, we have the grammarians up in arms. How can something be more necessary? Either it's necessary or it's not. Food isn't more necessary than water. You don't have both, you die. Air is it more necessary than the other two? You need to have all of them. Well, again here, Paul is using strong language. He intentionally is using bad grammar to say it is much more necessary to be here, to remain in the flesh for your benefit is necessary. It is required. This is the call of the gospel. He knows continued challenges lie ahead because he knows he will remain in the flesh. He's not expecting a perfect life. He's not expecting everything to work out, but he knows it is necessary. Why? A couple of little words, two words in Greek, three in English, on your account. Do you see Paul's whole focus here? It's on the Philippians. He knows what he would desire, and he knows it's a good desire, a godly desire to be with Christ. But because of the sake of the Philippians, he will remain. This is the responsibility of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to look out for the well-being of others. It's not unlike the way parents who are experienced understand their relationship with children. You know, when you get married and have a child, 
the first child, you're sort of, you're playing without a manual. You don't really know what to expect. You expect great things. You maybe expect some hard things. Certainly, you don't expect as many hard things as you get. But when you're about to have your second child, it's a different ballgame. Or your third. Or your fourth. You know it means sleepless nights. You know it means cleaning disgusting things off of all manner of furniture, surfaces, and whatever in the house. You know it means pain and anguish. And yet you still do it. Why? Why do experienced parents not say after the second or third child, well, you know what? I am tired of changing diapers. Change your own diaper. And walk away. Why do we not do that? Is it because we love changing diapers? No. It's on your account. We know there's no benefit to us. Well, maybe changing diapers isn't the best analogy. Feeding, we know there's no direct benefit to us, but we know the benefit to the other. We know it is for their account. And this is the life of a Christian. You see, far too often today, the Christian life is presented as something in which we are giving a cosmic gimme, gimme, gimme to God. What can God give me? I'll believe in Jesus so he'll rid me of my alcoholism. I'll believe in Jesus so he gives me wealth. I'll believe in Jesus so he gives me friends. I'll believe in Jesus so he give me, give me, give me. When in reality, the Christian life is not give me, but giving. On your account, Paul says. Now, remember the context. This is a man who is so bound up with a desire to be with Jesus, he can't talk good Greek. And he's focused with all of his energy upon those who are around him. You see, real life, real, true life, is selfless. The benefit is for another. Paul wants to see their progress and joy in the faith. You remember this word progress? This is another thing. Interesting. Just like we looked at with convinced, we've seen this word progress before in in verse 12. He says, I know what has happened to me has served to advance the progress of the gospel. Same word. You see, Paul wants to see this progress of the gospel, not just in some abstract way, but in the very lives of the Philippians. He wants to see the gospel revolutionize their marriages. Bring incredible change to their families. Affect them at work. Affect them in their witness. He wants to see the progress of the gospel manifested in their individual lives. He wants to see the gospel bring joy to their life. Real lasting joy. The kind of joy that he has been talking about. The kind of joy that can well up in the face of harm, of difficulty, of trial, of death itself. This is what Paul wants to see in the Philippians. He wants to see their spiritual growth. The progress and joy of their faith. Is this your desire in the Christian life? Do you wake up in the morning 
and ask yourself, how can I assist, aid, work to bring about progress in the gospel in my children, in my wife, in my husband, in my grandchildren? What can I do to encourage them in the faith, to encourage them in the gospel? This is the selfless kind of life that Paul lives. And then finally we see that if we live a life that we know is hard and we face it dead on, not sugarcoating, not looking away, and if we face life being selfless, living for others, we will see that real life is Christ-focused. Christ-focused in that we are to submit to His will. How can Paul be convinced that to remain is necessary? I mean, think about it. What could cause Paul to say, you know, I guess I will have to put off that being with Jesus. What could cause Paul to be convinced that it was so necessary to be there? I think the first thing is he could only see this by faith. Only by understanding that the work of the gospel in him is the purpose of God. You see, sometimes we cannot just grit our teeth and get through life. We must look at life with all of its challenges dead in the eyes and say, God has a purpose for me and my life. And I trust Him with that purpose. I trust Him so much that I will submit to Him. I won't just say that I trust Him. I will live that I trust Him. And you see, we can be convinced of this and have faith in God only when we see the end, the end that He has prepared for us, when we have the end in mind. This is how we can submit to God's will. You may ask yourself then, how does Paul do it? I want to. I want to serve others selflessly, but I get drawn off track. I want to think of others, but all I can do is keep focused upon my own trials, my own difficulties, my own desires. How can I submit to God? I think first only by knowing God's love. Only by knowing that the love of God is the definition of self-sacrifice. That He loved His people so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for them. Self-sacrifice sacrifice, that God desires us to grow in the faith, to nourish us, to know God's love. Only by seeking joy in the Lord can Paul submit. You see, Paul's joy is not found in his fame, in his freedom. Paul's joy is found in his faith, in knowing that God is there, in knowing that God will provide. This is where Paul finds his joy. And Paul can submit to the Lord because of all of these blessings that he sees. He looks around him and he sees that others need this as well. That he's not the only one that needs the gospel. That there are people walking in and out of our lives every day living to die. This is the call of evangelism on the Christian. 
It's not about memorizing verses. It's not about checking a box. It's about looking out and seeing others and knowing that they need as much as we do what God has given to us. This is the call to tell others of the joy found in the gospel. Real life is Christ-focused, not just as we submit to His will, though. For Paul ends this passage by saying that real life is found in seeking the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a great chain of purpose here. Do you see it? He says, I know that I will remain. I'm convinced that you need me. And so because of that, the result of that, God's purpose is that I will remain with you. But I will remain that you might have progress and joy. And you will have progress and joy for a purpose, not for yourself, but rather that you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ. You see, even the blessing of the gospel is not an end in itself. The gospel comes down to us that we might glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, Paul wants to be an opportunity for other people to glory, to boast in Jesus Christ. He wants them to rejoice in Jesus. The word here for glory is also used of boasting. You know that person who just can't help but run their mouth about a certain subject? It may be their favorite football team. It may be their hobby. It may be their car. You know, every time you see them, all they are doing is talking about that over and over and over again. You've heard the same story at least 30 times, and you listen to it again. That's the way that Paul wants the Philippians to think and speak of Jesus. He wants Jesus to be on their lips all the time, to be their boast and their glory. This is a Christ-focused life in which our very being points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul can say, I know that even my deliverance from jail will be to God's glory. I'm in jail and God is glorified by the preaching of His Word. And if I'm released, it'll be to God's glory because God is in charge of His glory. This is a life that is focused on Jesus Life is hard, but real life is selfless. And real life is a life that is focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, let me ask you one question. Do you think about death? Do you wake up in the morning and think about your own death? Not the end of it. Not what your death will be like. Or not what you will miss doing. No, I mean, do you wake up and think about your death and does that focus you as to how you will glorify God today with the breath He has given you? Because you're not promised another. You see, there's no waiting, there's no snooze button on glorifying God. I was reminded of that this week. Some of you saw this in an email that I sent out. A friend of mine who was a pastor up in Ohio was in his mid-50s. Taller, taller than Daryl, and fitter. He was a high school and a college athlete. He was 
a specimen, as they say. He was in great health, strong as an ox. And he was having a conversation with a colleague. And they were laughing about something, and he stopped laughing. And his colleague thought, well, I wonder if something happened. And it turned out that the Lord took him. His mid-50s, picture of health. We still don't know what it was. They're going to do an autopsy. And the question then comes, if God takes you today, will you have missed out on glorifying God in your life? That's a worthy thing to contemplate. You see, Paul says, the thing about death is that it is being with Christ. And the thing about life is living for Christ. And that's Paul's priorities. Those are the priorities that the Scriptures have for you. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let us pray.